Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. In fact, it's Mojo Radio Show International. It's Mojo Radio Show via telephone, by the sounds of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, straight up, folks, um, this show is about finding interesting people who we think have their mojo working in or out of work. We talk to them, extract their goodness, the stuff that we can take to put into our lives to make our lives better in or out of work. In fact, just getting our mojo working. And uh, the reason this telephone line sounds like a telephone line is that because I am on the road, I'm not in the studio with Robbo. I am, in fact, in Tokyo, in Japan. Toughing it out, doing the hard yards. <laughs> it's been amazing, I'm going to say. Uh, the whole trip has been amazing from Tokyo and spending time up in the mountains mm. uh, just north of Nikko. So you get, a, you get three different trains, the, the bullet train, and then two other trains, and then a bus to get to the end of the line, which is up in the snow-capped areas, which is still snow-capped. Yeah. And we stayed in an inn that was uh, it was actually built in 1666. Wow. But the actual camp was set up in the 1100s uh, by the Sumerai. And after some of the Great Wars, the Sumerai warriors would retreat to this particular area because of the hot springs that was said to have been meditative, with their minerals and vitamins in the water. So we spent a few days up there training at altitude. <laughs> <laughs> How was the beer, by the way? I've, I've got in the Asahi. Right. Hello, friends at Asahi. Hello, our friends at Kieran. Whoever, <laughs> whoever's, whoever's got any yen to throw my way. Um, yeah, the Asahi, I think it's called super dry or extra dry. I've been right. having with my, yep. uh, with my sushi. Anyway. It was amazing, this inn from 1666. You know what was interesting is everybody who I see on the streets working in the inn, chefs, guy in high-vis gear, people running the platforms and trains, I'm staggered by how many people are working over here that would have to be 65, 70 years old. It's staggering. Retirement age, yeah. Wow. Well, you'd think so, but that's the thing. Over here there is no such thing. Like everybody's active, they're all walking People do a lot of walking and even in around some of the shrines, the guys are working there sweeping floors and, and fixing things and taking tickets and people on the trains, the conductors, they're all beautifully dressed in suits and jackets. They all, they all look like official police people um, and they're all workers, yet they're all, I reckon we should do a show based on this because there's definitely something in this whole 
the idea of, in fact, there's a guy called Chip Conley who wrote a book about wisdom and the wisdom of the modern day elder. Yep. And he talks about this. So I think we should, well, I will, I'll, I'll get on to Chip Conley so we get him on the show because I've got to say it is very evident on the streets that people are not retiring in Japan. Wow. Well, there you go. You were saying there's a few other uh, lessons we could learn from the Japanese. Well, you know, I said to you before we started recording, I've spent a lot of time on trains over the last couple of weeks tripping around to the mountains and different parts of Tokyo. And these trains are packed. I mean, they are packed to the rafters. Like you're getting in there and the guy or person next to you is three centimetres from your nose. They're, they're jammed in. You know those scenes you see in the movies where the last guy runs the platform and just dives in with his backpack and just hits the scrum and just mauls in <laughs> and the doors close. It's like it is. It's like that. In all my travels, I've seen one single person talking on their phone on a, on a train carriage. Wow, isn't that crazy? And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm sure you get on there. They're all reading books or they're all standing with their head down looking out the window. They're all just contemplating. Uh, in fact, I'd say a large majority are asleep, which is an incredible feat, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. But they don't talk on the phone and it's a yeah. cultural thing because my wife used to work over here and she said it's a cultural thing because people respect their space. They're super polite. Mm. And i got to say, if you can do it for a whole country, don't give me this nonsense about, oh, you can't do it, it's too many yeah. people and stuff. That's right. This whole this whole country is it's, it's, it's an amazing observation, and I absolutely love it. Cafes, there's just this. No one talks on phones. People are talking, but they're really polite. They're looking at each other. They're leaning in. They respect the conversation. It's just this beautiful white noise in every cafe you go into. It. Um, wow. What would it? What would it cost to set a studio up here? No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but let's find out. Ah, Rudu Sound. <laughs> we interrupt this program to bring you a special bonus. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. Right. Ladies and gentlemen. Now. Just before we start, Lola, good morning. Hello, boys. Could you play us a rock track that puts us in the mood for today's show, please? Hmm, just a minute. Good choice, Lola, because today's show is essentially about heroes and or heroism. And I've got to say, this is this is a particularly relevant show. Like having travelled across from Australia to Japan and travelled around on the subway, the fast trains, shopping malls, same in any capital city you go to in the world, you'd have to say that regardless of where you live in the world, 9-11 and that event at the World Trade Centre has impacted every single person in every corner of the world, don't you reckon? Absolutely. I was, uh, I was at uh, the Royal Easter Show here in Sydney yesterday and uh, they've got all those concrete bollards up to stop trucks and stuff driving down the... No matter where you go, you still see remnants, I guess, for a want of a better word, of 9-11, don't you? We do. And Tim Brown, who's our guest today, I just want to set this up. He's a retired and very decorated 20-year New York firefighter. He's a survivor of the 2001 terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. He was inside the towers when it all went down. He's a first responder. And apart from that, he's a veteran of the New York Urban Search and Rescue Task Force team, which served under Mayor Giuliani at the time of the terrorist attacks. 
And what I really admire about Tim is the way he tells the story of his best friends who, who were heroes and their heroism. And this is a pretty deep show, I'm going to say, folks. And the other thing that's really cool about Tim is that he's, he's one of the leaders in defending the memory of those who lost their lives at Ground Zero on 9-11. He's been on Fox News and CNN and CNBC, all dozens of news programs. And I guess this is just a chance for us to remember what happened on that day and how regardless of whether you're on a bus, go to the movies, go to a concert, you're flying, you're shopping, 9-11 has changed the world and the impact it has on us we should never forget, but also we should never forget those that actually ran towards danger when many others were running from danger. And you're going to hear some incredible stories of heroism, the, the, the men and women who braved their own lives, gave their own lives to save others, and not just first responders but citizens. And it's a real privilege to have this man on the show to share the stories from that day of 9-11. Tim Brown, New York firefighter, it's a true honour to welcome you to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thank you, brother. So, Tim, you had a very distinguished 20-year career as a firefighter in New York. Was that something you, that was always a dream for you? Like, can you remember the time where you decided that that's what I wanted to do? I, I guess like most little boys, you always chase the fire trucks around. You know, you always get excited when you see that. But I, I never really took it seriously. Like, I could actually be a firefighter one day until I was 15 years old. And my friend Jay uh, told me that he was a junior fireman and that I should come down to the local firehouse and learn how to be a junior fireman with him. And when he told me that, I stopped doing all the bad stuff I was doing and uh, got on a straight path because I realized I could really be a fireman. And from that day on, 15 years old, uh, my goal was to be a New York City firefighter. You know, it's, I've been looking forward to this conversation with you, Tim, because it's fair to say that you were involved in probably one of the most iconic events that many of us will vividly remember in our lives. And, it's, it's, and I guess it's curious that, you know, when you're a kid and you want to be a firefighter, whether a child or a kid or a, a junior firefighter going into that as a profession could see ahead to what you're about to walk into because I, I just want to take you to something you wrote some time back and you said, September 11, 2001 began like most days for me. I was eating breakfast at the Office of Emergency Management Office at Seven World Trade Center when suddenly the power flickered out for a few seconds. The world had just changed forever. Take us to that morning when you're having breakfast what happened? Well, I mean, that's exactly how it how it started. Um, when the when the plane hit the North Tower, uh, you know, the building I was in was directly across the street, and uh, it was such an impact that it knocked out the power to that area. And introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Very, very unusual for a high, modern high-rise office building in New York City to lose power like that. So I knew something big had happened. I, I didn't know what it was um, until the people who were facing the window looking at the North Tower uh, started jumped jumped up and started running and screaming. And I actually had to grab one young lady by the shoulders and stop her and ask her what happened. And she told me a plane hit the tower. And, and that's the first I knew of it. Um, and I, and I knew it was, you know, this is what we train and practice for, uh, although we had had things like this happen before, certainly never a big jet, a big passenger jet crashing into one of the tallest buildings in the world, you know, and, and that was our, that was our job. That's, you know, we were the mayor's office of emergency management and, along with the New York City Fire Department, Police Department, and the Fort Port Authority Police Department, we were about to um, be challenged like we've never been challenged before in, in, in our history. Um, and we didn't know this was coming. Um, but it, it was starting, and uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, it changed the world. So at that time... Something we hear a lot for first responders, Tim, is that your, your training, in all the chaos, your training kicks in. And people talk about that a lot as first responders and people in the military. So it's, you go, how, how did you deal with that? They say, I just, I just did what came to me because it's, it's what we trained for. In all, that, in all that chaos, you said you had the presence of mind, I think it was to go to the plaza level and do a size up. Tell me, tell me what's the size up for us? And at that moment, what did you see when you did your size up? We, we are trained as firefighters and not just in New York city, I think across America and likely across the world that before you go into any building that is being compromised, whether it's a fire or a building collapse or a, or, um, a plane flying into a building, you always try to see three sides of the building before you go in. Cause you can do that pretty quickly, generally. And 
and I wanted to do that in this situation. Um, try to just to try to see what kind of damage I could see, and you know what was happening. And, and I'm 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 glad I did it. I guess because when I looked out on the on the plaza in between the towers, it was littered with flaming debris, and and um, I started. I guess I started to realize that it was worse than just a small plane that hit the building. One of the disadvantages I, I had, we had, was th that the rest of the world didn't have, is that I, I had to stand at the base of the building and look up 80 or 90 stories to see anything. So it was hard for me to get a good size up. Where pe anybody who had a television anywhere around the world that was watching this had a better idea of what was happening than we had because we were underneath it. And, uh, and, and so that, that was the beginning of my training kicking in, uh, and kind of going on autopilot and knowing that we, we were in some big trouble. One of the first people you bumped into was Terry Hatton, who was a good friend of yours. Cause you'd done a lot of work together. You'd been in some bad situations together. Tell me about that conversation right then with Terry Hatton. Terry was um, a captain in, in, he was the captain of rescue company one, which would be the el most elite unit in the Manhattan part of the New York fire department. And he was the boss of that. And th there was a very good reason that he was the boss of that. He was, he was known as a shining star, rising star in the fire department. And not only was he very experienced, um, and we had done a lot of bad fires, bad building collapses, uh, other terrorist attacks together. I had done all that stuff with him. And not, not only that, he was really smart. He's one of the smartest guys in the fire department. And he was also my best friend and I, he yelled my name in the lobby uh, of tower one. You know, there was hundreds of firefighters coming in and he saw me and he yelled my name and I ran over to him and Terry was six foot four. So he's a, he's a big guy and with his helmet and boots on, he was six, seven, six, eight. And he leaned over and he, hugged me and he pulled me to his chest and hugged me and he kissed me on my right cheek and he said, I love you, brother. I may never see you again. And I thought, I, I thought he was wrong and I kind of blew it off. Um, and kind of joked, joked it away. Like we've done all this stuff together before. We're going to be okay. I'll see you later on t today. But of course, Terry was the smart one and he could think four or five steps ahead of everyone else. And he, he knew he was in trouble and the men, Terry and his men from rescue one, after he said that to me and after I talked to them, they knew they were in trouble. They knew they, it might be the last day of their lives, but you know what they did? They 
kept doing their job. They went in that stairwell and they went up. Just like all the firemen and the policemen did that day, they had taken an oath when they became firefighters or police officers that they would give their lives for their neighbor, for a stranger. And today was the day that they were going to fulfill that promise. Um, Terry and his men made it to the 83rd floor of the North Tower where they were fighting the fire and saving people's lives when they had a partial interior collapse, not the big collapse, but a smaller one where they got trapped. And I, although I did not hear this, I know many firefighters who did hear Terry yelling for help on the radio, something we call Mayday, which is the worst thing a fireman could ever say or hear. And Terry was yelling, Mayday, 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 rescue one is trapped, Mayday, Mayday, rescue one is trapped, we need help. And so Terry and his men were trapped in an interior collapse up in the low 80s. Uh, I know one of one of his firefighters, Dave Weiss, made it back down to the lobby uh, where he encountered other firefighters and uh, implored them to come back up with him to help rescue rescue one. Uh, and Dave was uh, pr- pretty badly injured, but he and some of the guys went back up to try and get rescue one out. Uh, but they were unable to do that before the building came down. It's it's extraordinary to me to hear you say that. I mean, it must be even to this day emotional for you, Tim, but you said that Captain Hatton and and the men, the firefighters, each lugging 60 pounds of oxygen tanks and tools started climbing the stairs of Tower 1. And where people, you've said, were leaving the building, helping others and escaping, the fear, these guys ran toward it. How, does, how, how, do these, how did these guys, how do these guys train their mind to run towards danger, towards the fear? And for someone like Captain Hatton to get to know how bad this was, with all his experience, and then still run toward it. Where does that come from? How did, can can you train that? Well, I think some of it comes from God. Um, that you know, we are uh, you know we are here to as a community. We are here to help each other. We are here to help our neighbor when our neighbor is, is in trouble. Um, so I think that's initially where it comes from. Human human nature is that we try to help each other if if someone's in trouble. Uh, but more than that, you know, we make the commitment to. In, in Terry's case, his his dad was a fire chief in New York. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, so, you know, he had it in his family, but I, I think he had it more in his, in his heart that people were in trouble and he knew how to help them. Uh, and, and, and he had made that commitment, you know, everywhere, you know, all across Australia, all across America, people put on the uniform, police officer, firefighter, military, paramedic, EMT, people put on the uniform because their nature, their, their, the goodness in them says, I want to help people who are in trouble. And every time we see them in the street, we should be grateful that we have fellow human beings who, who have that inside of them. Mm. Another one of your brothers that I've heard you speak about is Mike Lynch. Can you just describe the elevator and how you came to come face to face with Mike. When the second plane came into the second, the South tower, the leadership of New York city gathered together, the police and fire and mayor's office. We all gathered together quick to decide what to do. And it was decided that me, myself, and Chief Donald Burns from the fire department would go to the South Tower to try to manage that second largest disaster in New York City history right? that was occurring right next to the first largest disaster in New York City history. And Chief Donald Burns and I ran over to go to the South Tower. Um... When we were running over there, a, a woman came running over to us screaming there were people trapped in the elevator. And so Chief Burns conti- continued to the command post, but sent me to go to the elevator to see if I could help these people. And I followed this woman over, and when she took me right over to the elevator lobby, and she took me to one particular elevator hoist opening, and the doors to the shafts to the hoist were open so you could see into the shaft. But the elevator car had not come all the way down. So you could see into the elevator car right at the top of the opening. You could see everyone's feet, all their feet who were trapped 
and they were screaming and, and panicking. And I, I didn't know it at the time. I learned this only a few years back that that elevator car had free fallen 70 floors because when the second plane came in, it snapped the cable that was holding their elevator car and it, it collapsed 70 stories before the emergency brakes kicked in and prevented it from crashing into the concrete uh, pit. So these people had just taken a 70 story fall, but they were still alive, but they were screaming and panicking because the elevator pit below them was full of jet fuel that was on fire and they were right above it getting burned. And so this is the scene I saw in front of me and I, and I didn't have any tools or equipment. You know, I didn't have a fire truck with me. There was no other fireman at the, in, at that moment in the lobby. And so I, we quickly tried to grab fire extinguishers and put some of the fire out to try and help. But that, you know, you couldn't do that. It was, it was a jet fuel fire. It doesn't go out that easily. And in my frustration, I turned to my right just to see if I could see something else to help me. People. And my shoulder hit a person and I, I looked over and I, I saw it was a firefighter and I looked up at his face and it was my friend Mike Lynch who Terry Hatton and I had trained as a new firefighter in 1991 when we worked with him. And Mike was an amazing human being and an excellent firefighter. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said to me, Timmy, I got it. And with those three words between two firefighters, what he meant was he had the training, he had the equipment, he had the tools and equipment because he brought a whole fire truck with him. And he had the intestinal fortitude to save the lives of those people. Um, when, when I saw, uh, when I, in the weeks after 9-11, I went to see Mike's widow, Denise, to tell her of the heroism of her husband, to make sure that she heard it about his last moments for me. And when I told her the story of Mike saving the lives of those people, I said, when he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Timmy, I got it, he may as well have had angels' wings coming out of his back because he was the angel that was going to save the lives of those people. We, we know that Mike saved at least two women because they identify him the guy with the red four in his helmet. And we think he saved three altogether before the whole building came down. Um, and they found Mike's body with the, the tools and equipment he was using to get them out of the elevator. And, uh, along with the people who did not get out, but we, we know Michael uh, saved at least a few lives uh, that day before he was killed. 
So when Tower 2 collapses, Tim, where are you? I was in Tower 2 after the that kind of elevator scene I had just described. Um, I went to the command post uh, because some other stuff was going on. We had been told that a third plane was coming to impact us. Uh, and when I got over there, the, the, the lobby of the South Tower was filling up with people who were very badly injured, who had climbed down the stairs 60, 70, 80 floors. And they, when they got to the lobby, they mistakenly thought they were safe, and we knew they were not safe. In addition to that, they were impeding the evacuation of other people. So Chief Burns told me to go get the paramedics, and that's why I left the South Tower and headed to uh, find the paramedics. Uh, I found the paramedics on West Street, and we gathered up their tools, their, their equipment, their medical equipment, and myself and three paramedics, my friend Charlie Wells, uh, in, in the lead, ran back to go into Tower 2, and we were about 20 feet from the door of Tower 2 when it collapsed. And you could hear, the, the first thing was a very loud crack, like lightning just struck next to you, very loud. And then it was progressive collapse, so it was like, boom, 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 as each floor came down. And we're trained as firefighters also that you can never outrun a collapse. It, it happens too fast. And so I told the paramedics, I yelled to them, follow me. And we ran into the adjoining building, Three World Trade Center, which was the Marriott Hotel. And we ran inside there hoping the hotel building would protect us. But the tower, the tower collapsed onto the hotel and the hotel started collapsing around us. And the, the wind picked up and the noise picked up and the dust, everything that wasn't nailed down was in your face. And we hit the ground and everything started blowing at us and um, I knew I had to get to a vertical column, a structural vertical column, because I know that's the safest place in a building collapse. And the very little chance you have of survival is being near that vertical column. And so I crawled until I found one and I wrapped, there was a big, huge column and I wrapped my arms around it and the wind picked up, it was trying to blow me out into, back out into the street. The air was being pushed out of the building as it collapsed. Uh, I knew if I got blown out into the street that I was definitely dead. Uh, I held on with all my strength and my helmet blew off my head and I couldn't breathe because the dust was so thick and the noise was so loud, I compare it to sitting on the runway at JFK airport surrounded by 747s full blast. Mm. And the, the wind was later scientifically proven to be 185 miles an hour where we were trying to blow me out of the building. But I was able to hold on to that column. 
uh, and I, I just, I, in that, in that moment, I just thought how upset I was that I wouldn't be able to hold my family one more time. And I just waited to get crushed. But then as fast as it started, the noise and the, and the wind stopped and I was alive. And, uh, and then I, I, I bounced around in there for a little while until we figured our way out. Uh, and we lived, there were about 35 of us in that one space in the lobby of the Marriott hotel who lived some firefighters, some civilians. Um, but it was one of the few areas in the whole complex where people lived very, very few people lived through the collapses. And, um, you know, I guess I was chosen um, to be one of the survivors. And so now I go around and I tell the story, um, the story of the heroes, the, the 343 New York City firefighters, 37 Port Authority police officers, 23 New York City police officers uh, who were heroes who ran toward danger, who ran up the stairs, even even knowing that they likely would not come back. They still did it. And they are all American heroes for what they did that day. Um, and we should never forget what they did. And we should never forget who did it to us. You have a, a, a lovely statement that you use. You say, ordinary people, extraordinary heroes. And you tell the story of a guy who wasn't a firefighter. He wasn't a first responder. It's a guy called Wells Prowther, I think is the way you pronounce his name. And it's someone that you yeah, Crowther, talk, yeah. Crowther, you talk very fondly of. Can you just tell us, you know, who is that man? Sure can. He, and I, I, when I speak, I want to make this point. You know, we, we know the firefighters and police officers were heroes and, and, and we've, 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 um, uh, we tell those stories, right? But there, there are other stories in, in the towers that day of ordinary people ordinary office workers who became extraordinary heroes uh, by their behavior. And the greatest story I, I know to tell is of a young man named Wells Crowther, who was the man in the red bandana. And Wells was 24 years old. He was the trader up on the upper floors of the South Tower. And he was also a volunteer fireman in north of New York City. So on that day, when the plane hit the South Tower, Wells turned from an office worker into a civilian firefighter to help other people. In the, in the North Tower, nobody above the point of impact lived. Everyone was killed above the point of impact. In the South Tower, 18 people lived. And they lived because a young man named Wells Crowther found the stairwell that was passable and stayed there and yelled to people to come to him. And he got them into the stairwell and he got them down. 
we we believe he saved eighteen all all eighteen people who survived. Uh, um, and he, he after he did all that, he stayed in the lobby of the South Tower with the with the fire fire chiefs and the firefighters to help people. So he saved all those all those people. And then decided he was going to stay in the lobby and help, despite the danger. You know, he could have run out. He he could have saved his own life, but he chose to stay in there. And I don't think there's a greater story of a hero on that day than the story of Wells Crowder. Tim, I'm curious. There's a couple of things before we let you go. There's a couple of things I'm curious about is that when you are introduced, obviously, it's as a New York Fire Department, you're introduced as a 9-11, you were there, you survived, you've lived to tell the story. That's the identity that we give you. How do you see your own identity today? What a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. Um, so... I don't, I don't know why I'm alive today. I I don't know why I survived and 93 of my friends who were firefighters did not survive, but I am very happy to be alive. I love life. I think it's my, my calling to speak about that day, to speak about the heroes of the day, and to tell the truth about that historic day so that we will not forget it and we will try to never make the same mistakes that led to that day again. And uh, we'll remember the heroes of the day and I just think that that God chose me to be a spokesman and to say loudly the story of what happened on September 11, 2001 here in New York um, so that we, we never forget. And that is, that is my passion. That is my, um, by calling, and as long as I have a voice, I will speak this, the truth about this story, the whole truth about the story of September 11th. Tim, it's interesting that one of the issues that people have today is staying the course. Organizations will create purpose, create a mission, but very rarely do companies stay the course because they get distracted. Do you have any rituals, routines, non-negotiables each day that you call upon to keep the honour of the individuals who gave their most precious commodity of their lives? Do you do you have something you go to? One of one of the things you know. This is almost eighteen years later now, and one of the things that one of my therapists taught me was to compartmentalize my grief 
And that has served me well for the last nearly 18 years. So I, I allow myself when I tell these stories, I allow myself to, uh, be honest with my audience, be honest with people about the pain I still suffer at the loss of my friends. Um, but I also know that I have to be productive and I have to live my life. That's what my friends would want me to live a full, happy life. If, if Terry was alive here on earth and, and I was gone, I would want Terry to be happy. I would want him to live a full, happy life. And so I know that's what my friends want me to do. Um, so if, if I, if I'm struggling a bit, I allow it to happen. And when, when it, when it's over, I'm like, okay, time to get back to a happy, productive life. And so I, I guess I, I, when I tell, when I tell my story, it's, it's sometimes pretty emotionally difficult for me to do it. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so, like, for the next day or two... I, I, I recognize that I'm in an emotionally vulnerable place because I just told the story again and I give myself a break and I'm not so hard on myself. So I'm, I'm learning how to deal with it. I, I do want to continue talking. Like I could, so a, a lot of the survivors, the families, they don't want to talk about it. And I understand that because it's painful but I choose to talk about it and just figure out how to deal with it, you know? Um, so I, I try to take care of myself. We, we have over 2,500 sick 
New York City firefighters who are sick from the 9-11, some 9-11 disease, mostly cancer, but it's not all cancer. Um, And so I was was with my doctor today getting all kinds of tests done, trying to ensure that if something is wrong with me, he'll pick it up quickly. Uh, So I'm, I'm, I'm at the doctor fairly often getting tested. Um, checking for to make sure I don't have certain kinds of cancer, and uh, you know, get, doing getting unpleasant things done that nobody wants to do, but you know, they have to check for colon cancer and prostate cancer and all that stuff, and it's just something we have to do. So, I, I want to live as long as I can live. Uh, I want to have a voice as long as I can have a voice to tell this story. I'd say after all you've been through, mate, you're entitled to a long and healthy life, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I hope you're right. I I do want to live a long, healthy life. So, I think that compartmentalizing my grief is absolute gold. I think it's just a beautiful takeaway and knowing that your your brother's Terry's and Mike's would want you to live a long, fulfilled life. I think that's beautiful. I guess the other, the flip side is I sometimes wonder, Tim, is there a a moment where when you are in that grief and you're honouring the grief and you are prepared to go there, do you, do you get what ifs going through your head? Do you get that survivor thing where you start to question yourself, which takes you down a dark path or down a rabbit hole? I, I, I did have that uh, in, in, in the years after. I, I think I don't have that anymore. I, I think that I am a servant of God and he decided it wasn't my time. And he had work, he had work for me to do here on earth still. And, and that's it. When, when, when he wants to take me, he's going to take me. And, and I think that's true for all of humanity. Um, and it's not fair and, and we don't understand it a lot of times. Uh, but as long as I'm here on earth, I love life. I love people. I've made so many new friends since my friends were killed uh, I have a whole new beautiful life and it's, it's, it's what, it's what God wanted. Right. You know, one of my friends, <clears throat> one of my friends lost her fiance. They were supposed to be married in November of 2001. And he, he was my buddy also. And after, after he was murdered, she was so heartbroken that she would say, if I can't have his babies, then no babies for me. And she would say that with great sorrow in her heart because she so wanted to have children with him. And she moved away from New York and tried to start up a new life in her grief. And she wound up meeting another amazing man and got married and, and has two beautiful girls now. 
and and she has no she, not that life that she wanted so desperately before September 11, 2001, but she has a wonderful life with her new husband and her two beautiful girls. So for, for people who are um, in a dark place, I say patience in grief, patience. And it's so hard when you're in a dark place to even imagine that there will be light coming your way one day. It's so hard to see it when you're in that, that, that dark place. But I'm, I'm an example of finding new laughter and love and beauty in life. And so, so is my friend, the story I just told you. She, she has a beautiful, wonderful life that she lives. So patience and grief is is hard, but worth it. That's gold. Tim, something I want to ask you about and put a few threads together here is I I met last week a guy who is an elite Australian jet fighter pilot. Yeah. Call sign Boo. And I spent a fair bit of time with Boo talking. And one of the things that the elite Air Force jet fighter pilots reinforces situational awareness and they talk about it a lot and they it's something that goes through time and time again is being aware, uh, the OODA loop of observing, orient yourself, make a decision, action. And I, I was quite taken by it so I, I spent a lot of time talking to Bill about it and then I heard you say that you became aware either someone said to you or you, you looked and saw this, I think it was the second aircraft hitting the tower. And you said to yourself in your mind, this is not a fire situation, it's a war situation. Did With yes. your situational awareness, did anything change in your mind? So based on all the skills you had, the training, your situational awareness has now told you this is not a normal fire situation which you've been into for decades. This is now a war situation. Did that change your frame of what you decided to do and then act upon? Let me tell, uh, say, say what, uh, what that part of the, the scene was. When Chief Burns and I were running tower to the South Tower, we knew each other for a long time, for like 15 years. He was a 41-year veteran of the New York Fire Department. He was one of the biggest chiefs in the fire department. And he had seen everything in his 41 years as a fire chief, but never something like this. And after the second plane hit and we were running to the South Tower together, I said to him, Chief, what do you need me to do? And he said, Timmy, there's not a lot you and I can do. I've ordered a, a fifth alarm, which is another 250, 300 firefighters but it's going to take them a while to get here because they're coming from further away. Um, he said, do your best and be careful. You know we're at war, right? And I said, yeah, Chief, I know. And I guess in that moment, in those words, I mean, everybody that had a television knew that the world had just changed. Um, we were in it. And I guess 
what I, my reaction was to double down and steal my nerves and steal my spine and get ready to fight. And our way of fighting was to save as many lives as we could to deny the terrorists every life that they wanted to take that we could save. We did our best to save them. And the, the firefighters, the police officers, the civilian heroes of the day saved thousands and thousands of people's lives. Even though this, uh, many of them gave their lives, before they gave their lives, they saved many. And for every person that, that we saved, that was denying the terrorists one more innocent life that they wanted to take. And in that way, we were victorious. If we if we go down that track, Tim, that those terrorists were led by Bin Laden. Do you recall yes. where you were and what you were doing when the news came to you specifically that Bin Laden had been killed? And do you recall I re- your first mo- the first memory you have of that moment, what you thought or said to yourself? I do remember that. That was one of the most incredible nights of my life. Because Osama bin Laden was the face of the evil that that murdered my friends and tried to murder me. And so that terrorist was on my mind from the time I woke up till the time I went to sleep. And I wanted justice served on him for my friends. But it had been so long and these things drift from your mind, right? You know, we, we thought we had him, we thought we had him cornered and then we didn't get him. And then that had happened a few times. And I, I remember I was in New York and it was a, it was a Sunday, I think Sunday afternoon. And I started getting, uh, Breaking news, President Obama is going to uh, speak tonight, Sunday night at 7, I think it was 7 p.m. here in New York. And the furthest thing from my mind was Osama bin Laden. I thought that we had uh, done something in Iraq. There were other guys we were trying to get. And... I had my TVs on at home, turned up loud. All of America was on edge because we did not know what he was going to say. And when he said those words, 
I was completely stunned. Completely stunned. And I got very emotional because it was something I had held on to for a long time in my heart. I was speechless for a little bit, but then my phone started ringing between my friends, the families, the 9-11 families, and the media that started to call me trying to get a reaction from me. I wound up awake all night long. That, that whole night, I was awake all night, and I wound up doing 37 media interviews uh, from all over the world, from here, here in New York, throughout America, and then phone calls from all over the world asking us how we felt about it. And it, to me, I was so proud of our military. I was so proud of our intelligence community because I knew that they had to work together in order to find them. And I was so proud that America did not forget. We didn't forget. They remembered and pe people sacrificed a lot, a lot of, a lot of years. You know, I, I've, I've come to know some of the, um, some of the special forces heroes who were part of that mission and they, all, all of them have said to me that when they got on those helicopters, they all expected to be killed. They all expected that they would not come back. But they, it's the same as my friends going up in the stairwell. They still got in that helicopter and they still went and did what they had to do. They put on those uniforms, they utilized their training, they relied on intelligence that they hoped was right, but every one of them did not expect to come back and they still got in that helicopter and went. And they, they did that for me, like for me personally, they did that for me. They did that for us, for the families. They did that for America. And, and even bigger than that, they did that for good. Because in the end, this is good versus evil. So they did it for the goodness of humanity. And they did it for justice on some very evil men. I'm interested to know, as someone who is obviously trained in fire, someone who, as part of the New York Fire Department, I'm sure had trained some sort of training in building collapse and all the rest, all the other things that go along with what happened on that day, as well as being someone who was at ground zero at the time it happened. 
what do you say to the conspiracy theorists out there who say, oh, it's all a government plot and all the rest of it? What would, what's your reaction to that? Is that an insult to you? It is. It is an insult, and and uh, it, it it can make me very angry, um, because when when you say any of those conspiracy theories, it takes away from the real truth in history of what happened and who did it. What happened is that nineteen radical Islamic terrorists and people who encouraged them and supported them murdered nearly 3,000 innocent human beings. That's what happened. That's who did it. And anytime you say anything other than that, it takes away from the, the, the full truth of what happened that day. And, and whoever's a conspiracy theorist should be ashamed of themselves for for whatever reason they're doing it, for propagating those lies. I was there. I know exactly what happened. We had an extensive report done about what happened that is scientific. And the truth is that 19 radical Islamic terrorists flew hijacked four planes, flew them into three buildings, and fortunately the heroes on Flight 93 were able to prevent them from flying that fourth plane into another building. That's the truth of what happened. And I I know that we still have a trial underway uh, with Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and the other uh, plotters, so at some point that will go to trial and there will be more evidence that comes out that will further support the truth of what happened that day and it will debunk further any of these conspiracy theories. Uh, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be Mayor Giuliani and having to step up to lead a city under attack at war. One minute people are going about their work, having breakfast, the next minute you're at war, lives are being lost, chaos. When you, you know Mayor Giuliani because you were working closely as part of the emergency team, when you look at a guy like Mayor Giuliani all these years later and say, you know, the greatest leadership lesson that man taught me or showed me during that period, what would it be? I, I guess the, the one word or phrase I would say is that he was steady. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Under tremendous pressure, he was steady. I, I know people who were involved who, who couldn't, you know, leaders who couldn't handle it and wound up in the hospital. Mayor Giuliani stood up. He steeled himself because his friend, his, his friend Terry Hatton, my best friend, Terry and Mayor Giuliani were very close, married Mayor Giuliani's assistant. Terry was like a son to him. And Mayor Giuliani knew Terry was in the rubble. And Chief Downey and Chief Gancy, all these, all these people who Mayor Giuliani loved with all his heart, were laying in the rubble. And he was able to lead this city and lead this country in 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 that under that kind of pressure he has always been a hero to me he before 911 he was a hero to me because he straightened out new york city new york city was crime ridden sky high murder rate robbery rape it was disgusting Times Square was disgusting. And Mayor Giuliani came in and he supported the police department, allowed them to do their jobs. And it turned this city around. And he, that was before 9-11. After 9-11, he, he just stood up. He stood up for this country. His book, Leadership by Mayor Giuliani, Rudolf Giuliani, is a cracker. I read that, gee, 10, 15 years ago, and I think right. <laughs> it's a great book and particularly I think, Tim, for any uh, leader in an organisation who needs to turn things around, who are, things aren't great, how he broke it down, how he created, he almost created part of the agile business leadership model. I mean, it's, it is really a great book. Yep. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm looking at it right now. It's on my bookshelf. <laughs> one, one, of, one of the greatest leaders in American history. Yep. And uh and and you you only know that when you get tested. Mm, true.
you, you get tested in, in situations that you nobody even dreamed up before. Nobody even nobody could even predict that that would happen. We we had trained for so we were trying to be imaginative and we were trying to train for all kinds of things. In fact, that day, September 11th, we were supposed to have a a, uh, a, a biological terrorism drill. Uh, and that's what we did in our office, Mayor's Office of Emergency Management. And we did it because Mayor Giuliani wanted this city to be prepared in case something big happened. Um, and, you know, we, you know, even on that day, Chief Ray Downey, who was the fire chief in charge of special operations in New York City, highly respected uh, fire chief throughout America. And that morning, after the planes hit, we, when we talked at the command post and when we talked to Mayor Giuliani, in all our experience, high-rise fires do not cause a high-rise building to collapse. There, that was completely unpre unprecedented. We had had many high-rise fires, very bad ones here in New York City, but the buildings didn't collapse. So we we did not expect that. We were su surprised by that, and, and and we paid for it with a very high casualty rate. Was that because of the structural damage as well, though? I mean, surely you have fires, but you didn't, yes. you wouldn't get the structural damage from a plane hitting the building as well, right? Right. Ours were 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 built with a plane flying into them in mind. Not a terrorist attack, but an accidental thing. But when they were built, and I think they were finished in 72, the planes were sm smaller. There was less of a fuel load. Mm -hmm. So that in, in 2001, when these bigger planes with a lot more fuel in them crash into the buildings, now we're dealing with a lot more jet fuel um, and the structural damage from a larger plane. And those things all combined uh, made the buildings collapse. Yeah, wow. Tim, I'm sure and I know that when you close your eyes, you see and replay that day from the minute you left breakfast to today, you could see it all. My question is when you close your eyes, What's the image you choose to see? Because there's a lot of darkness, a lot of evil, but what's the, what's the scene, what's the one picture when you close your eyes you choose to see that keeps you moving forward? Wow. Be whatever the beauty of life is. I, w one, of, one of my things, I, like, I live in midtown, midtown Manhattan in New York City, so I'm surrounded by cars and concrete, and people and noise and I enjoy going down to Florida to the beach and with the sunrise and walking on the beach by myself with the sunrise with beautiful music in my ears and you know that's that's a little bit of my dream one day if I am able to do it is to have a place at the beach where I can wake up every morning and watch the sunrise and 
and kind of find some peace. Um, and and maybe you know maybe that day will will come. Maybe after I'm gone from this earth, maybe that's what it is. That's what I dream of. We Just we that peace and love. We are a show that have amazing guests like yourself, but we also like to play a bit of music. And the question I've got to finish up today, Tim, is tell me the song that we could play for our listeners that would be the song that you would dedicate to the Mikes and Terrys, the families, the survivors, the heroes, the people, the Wells, Crowthers. If there's one song that you would play to say, here's my dedication to that day, to those people, what song would we play? It's so funny because that is my piece. And his name is Andrea Bocelli. You may have heard of him. And And the song is Ave Maria. It's great because we've never ever played Andre Bocelli on the show before. <laughs> that's that's great. Well, well then there, there you go. He's and and I I say that because in in my deep grief back in two thousand and one and two thousand and two, Andrea Bocelli's voice saved my life. It's, it's the only way I felt at peace is when I heard his voice. And to, to this day, I've never been able to say thank you to him personally, but I still want to. Here's a left field question, Tim, and I wasn't going to go here. I just want to ask this because it's just my, my curiosity. You have just talked about your dream, which wasn't so much what you were seeing. Your dream was more about being on the beach and what you could hear. And you you went down that track and then you said Andre Bocelli was the soundtrack that helped you through that time. So it makes me think you're quite auditory in that you like conversation, you you get into lyrics, you get into melodies. This is a left field question. Being very auditory, I know the song you would play. If you were sitting on the beach and you were having a conversation with the people who risked their lives, those who lost their lives, what's the one thing you would say to those people? What's what's the thing that goes through your mind that you would say to those people that made you made them know that each day you were honoring them and going about your life? What would you say? I I would love to hear my best friend Terry laugh because he had a very unique laugh. A little bit like a cackle. I would love to hear him laugh. And I would tell him that I love him and I miss him with all my heart. And, and I would hope that he was proud of me. When, when Terry was murdered 
um, a, a few days later, his wife found out that she was pregnant. And she wound up having a baby girl uh, that she named after her dad. So she's Terry with an I. And it was their only child. And so I've tried to be a good uncle to her. I've been trying, I've tried to be a good friend to Terry's wife, Beth, who is my very good friend. Um, and I, you know, I've just tried to be very good and helpful to the families here because that's what they would have done for me. They, they would have tried to be a good example, a good friend, a good uncle, a good father figure. Um, I, I know they would have done that for my family. So I try to do it for their families. I don't think there's any question that they would be proud of you, Tim. The way you represent and honour the brothers you lost, you. the brothers that are still with us, the survivors, the families, uh, the leadership that was around you, I think there's no question. And during the show you said that one of the outcomes of all this is you have made a lot more friends. And I've got to say your your authenticity, your the genuine way you tell your story, you tell it with sorrow, you sell it with happiness, you sell it with pride. Um, I, I think Rob and I hope we've become new mates, <laughs> but also I'm sure you've made lots more friends here in Australia and around the world, mate. It's, um, it's such an honour and Honestly, I could sit and talk with you for, for hours about this topic. There's so much more to, uh, to ask you and talk to you about, but uh, we're respectful of your time. But all we can say is thank you, mate. And, and more so d- um, respectful for your actions, mate. Thanks for having me on and listening to the whole the whole thing. And it's great conversation with you. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that the world has not forgotten uh, and that we're still talking about this. It makes me very proud. Um, proud partners, you know, with Australia always. Mm. I hope one day I can make it. I I was there once. I'd like to go back. So maybe one day. Let us know when you're here, mate. We'll buy you a beer. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) I'll take you up on that. And and if he can bend his arm hard enough, Gary might even put a stake on the barbie. Oh, no problem. Absolutely no problem. There's so much more to talk about. It would be a uh, it would be a, a true privilege to have a conversation over a nice Scot- grass fed, grass finished Scotch fillet and a beer, mate. That'd be great, wouldn't it? I would love that. Hi, I'm Maria Gronberg. I'm a climber. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro four times and summited Mount Everest this year of May. Oh man, I'm struggling through the Mojo Show. The Mojo Radio Show. Okay, I got to tell you a funny thing that came out of such an amazing story. <laughs> we had a mouse under the in the cupboard under the stairs the other day, and I'll be straight up with you, mice and I. We don't get on. Let's be honest. I they scare the shit where, out of me. For some where, how are you going to tie this back to that show? Where yeah, are you I'm, going? I'm, with I, this? Let me let, trust me. Trust me. <laughs> Mice and I do not get on. I, I spiders, snakes, anything else cool. Mice, I don't know why. Rats, I'm cool with. Mice though, um, must be an elephant or something. I don't know. But anyway, the missus says to me, "There's a mouse under the stairs. You need to go deal with it." So I came in here. I had a shoe in one hand to whack it with, a garden glove in the other hand and some (laughs) mice bait. And I'm opening the cupboard and I thought, how am I going to do this? And then I thought, 
Think of Tim Brown and everything oh, he gosh. went through. If he can go through that, gosh. you can kill a mouse, my man. Uh, I have it. I have. I have him and his management and all his friends, including <laughs> David Coaster, <laughs> Jay Redman, Jay Dobbins, all his mates. Please don't uh, listen to the show, boys. You've I just taken nine eleven and compared it to you going in <laughs> under your steps with a shoe in your hand to fight a mouse. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing it at all, but I actually drew inspiration from his story and thought if he can walk into a building that's falling down, I can walk into a cupboard that's got a mouse in it. Somebody get me a butter knife and stab me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, it has been a very profound show. Uh, we need somebody to take us out. Um, where are we going to go? Lola? I'm listening. Yeah, let's try Lola. Lola, play us a song, something to do with Japan. What do you reckon, Gaz? You're the... Uh, you're the... Not, feel, not, feel, not feeling it. Not feeling it. All right, Lola, what else you got? Uh, too obvious. Yeah, cliche. a bit cliche. No, it's, it? it's not us. It's not us. Come on, Lola, last chance. Another go. Yep, something rock and roll, something about Japan. That is very icy. In fact, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to go and grab my bandana. I'm going to go and get a bottle of sake. <laughs> take, take my shirt off. I'm going to run big, I'm going to run laps around we work. A bit of Jimmy. Jimmy! Jimmy! All right, we're out.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealTimeCasting.com Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.